you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. And um, as we mentioned, we are in the midst of this series called Masterpiece in Progress. We are in week three of a six-week series in which we're trying to see how it is that God has shaped each and every one of us to be able to serve and to be able to fulfill the purpose he has for our lives. And that's why Masterpiece in Progress, none of us are completed yet. God is still doing a work in us. God is still shaping us. And yet, We need to recognize the truth of what Paul says in Ephesians 2, the idea that we are God's workmanship. Some of the translations will say we are God's masterpiece. The Greek is the idea of we are God's poema, where we get the word poem. And we are created by God, handcrafted with a specific purpose in mind. That He didn't make mistakes. He doesn't have leftovers and just said, I'm just going to build another human out of what's left from my real humans I wanted to build. He has great value, great intentionality, great beauty, and great purpose designed for each and every person who hears my voice, whether you're live in person, live online, or watching or listening throughout the week. And so what we want to do is, is give you a heads up that, as Trevor mentioned, as there are children's ministry and youth ministry. We're finding information more about them after this service. So on your way out, you'll get a, a handout for children's ministry. You'll be able to see both those ministries out at the table. Um, and so you've got to have that, you know, that Sarah McLaughlin in the eyes of the angel song. And so being able to remember that there are really great students and there are deep needs for men and women to come alongside them in order to help them in their walk with Jesus. But we also have these cards in the front here that are available on the seats that if maybe you missed a week. And last week we highlighted our local community impact and our global missions. And you say, I have a heart for that ministry and for those ministries, but I wasn't here last week. And we want to make sure that we have these cards available over the next few weeks that if you are saying, okay, I wasn't here, but I still want to find out information, you could turn those in and that way we can still come alongside you. But what we're doing over these, this series of, uh, of these messages here is that we're looking at two different books as kind of our, um, two different books that kind of give us some of the framework for which we're looking. The first one is Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, and the second one is Shape by Eric Reese. Now, Eric Reese's book, Shape, is, it builds upon a few days out of Purpose Driven Life that talk about how you are shaped to serve God. And specifically, the shape is an acronym here, and it's an overview. What we talk about is that it's through your spiritual gifts, it's through your heart, through your abilities, through your personality, and your experiences. And all of these things God uses to shape you for your purpose in serving. That I believe that each person who hears my voice is someone who was formed and created in their mother's womb. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God's works are wonderful, and we know that full well. And friends, you are one of those wonderful works. You are a poema. You are a masterpiece. You are workmanship. You may not feel that way. But we need to acknowledge that God's word supersedes our feelings. And so if God's word says that you are a masterpiece, you are his workmanship, You are a poema with great value. Friends, we adhere more to what God's word says and how we feel about what God's word says. And we take hold of that as part of our identity. Now, 
Today, we're going to talk about specifically abilities. And the reason we're unpacking that is two weeks ago, we talked about spiritual gifts. And the way Eric Rees defines spiritual gifts is that these are God-given gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. In that time when someone surrenders their life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and gives them these spiritual gifts to do his work. What was the work it talked about? Is to share his love and to strengthen the body of Christ. And abilities we're going to see are things that many of us have had from the beginning of our lives. And yet, what often happens is that we often confuse the fact and think, well, when I'm at church, I can only use my spiritual gifts. Because church is the spiritual place. And when I'm Monday through Saturday, whether I'm at school, whether I'm at work, or wherever it is that I spend the majority of my life, well, that's where I get to use the God-given abilities, the, the, the way that he's made me to be able to build something or to work on a project or to organize or to create. And we create this, this divide between the spiritual things and the, the everyday things. And friends, that divide does not exist. There is no divide between the spiritual and the sacred in the sense of we're created to be able to use what God has given us with our abilities, not just Monday through Saturday, but through the church. And God may be calling us to use our spiritual gifts, not just on Sunday mornings or the night that you go to a small group, but throughout your lives. And so it's not an either or, it's a both and. And so we're going to unpack the idea of abilities, specifically looking at Exodus chapter 31, as we look at the building of the tabernacle. And so before we dive into the passage, um, I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today. Lord, whether it's their very first time, whether they've been with us for decades, Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak in a way that only you can to your people here, God. I pray that each person who hears my voice knows that they are deeply loved by you, that they are created, formed, shaped by you as a masterpiece, as a masterpiece in progress that is continuing to grow in you. Lord, I pray that each person who hears my voice would realize that is someone that Jesus, you came to die for to have us, help us to have a right relationship with God the Father through your life, death, and resurrection. And Father, I pray that each person who hears my voice would feel the power of the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit, each person you would draw one step closer to you and to Christ's likeness today. I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us as only you can. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we look at this idea of spiritual gifts and abilities. And so let's take a moment and say, let's define this. Now, for those of you who are in small groups, I highly encourage you to be able to take the, the, the sermon notes. We printed out a few extra copies because we were running low. But to have some sermon notes, because if you're in a small group, our small groups for this season are discussing this sermon-based series. And so what we want to do is give you the opportunity to fill in those spots. And in the bottom, there are discussion questions that your group leaders will often facilitate, ask questions, and allow that conversation to take place. And so here's what I want you to know is that Eric Reese's definition— of, uh, of abilities is this. The set of talents that God gave you when you were born, which he also wants you to use to make an impact for him. Let's, let's unpack a few of those things. First, these are talents that God gave you when you were born, in contrast to spiritual gifts that come when the Holy Spirit resides in us as believers. The idea is that these are talents that you've always had. Maybe some of you have always been natural born leaders that you go into a room and people just turn their attention to you and 
there's a leadership quality that people just respond to. Maybe some of you are just naturally really good at being able to create something from nothing. Maybe some of you are naturally really good at making delicious food, and if that's you, let me know who you are so we can impart on these gifts together. So, because I love eating, that's my gift. So what I mean is, if you are someone who's naturally good at art or organization, I mean, whatever it is, there are gifts that you've had from the very beginning that people have affirmed in you from the very beginning of your life. And maybe it gets to the point where you don't even recognize them as abilities anymore because it's just kind of what you do. It's just what you're able to accomplish. And yet, let's not, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge the fact that these abilities that you have are God-given from birth so that you can have an impact not for yourselves, not for your own self-aggrandizement or for your own bank account to swell. Can you use those for those things? Yes, but the point, the reason we were given them is to make an impact for God, is to be able to recognize that all these gifts were given for the common good, that they're given to strengthen the body and to share his love. They're given not for us to hoard, but for us to distribute and recognize that God has a purpose for which you have been created and for which he has an assignment for you. And so let's continue our notes. And the question we're going to ask here is this, what does God say? What does he tell us about using our abilities for his purpose? What does he say about it? What, how does he communicate this to us? And in order to, to kind of filter this down, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 31 and talk about what God says about Bezalel and Aholiab. Now, to give you context, because Bezalel and Aholiab may not be the names that you just automatically know. It's not like Moses or David or other names that you just automatically know. Even as Christ followers, we may not be fully aware of the story of who Bezalel and who Aholiab are. So in order to give the context, this happens in Exodus chapter 31. And I'll kind of go through this quickly here, but... In the beginning of Exodus, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. After 400 years and 10 plagues, Moses leads his people, leads God's people out that Pharaoh sends them out and they leave uh, the Egypt and they end up getting to the place where the Red Sea is. Pharaoh decides he doesn't like that. He's like, why did we just let our whole workforce go? Now he sends his chariots after them. The Red Sea parts, the Israelites come through, the chariots of Egypt and Pharaoh, they start going in and then the water comes over them. And so in Exodus 14, we see the crossing of the Red Sea. Exodus 15, we see Moses and Miriam both give these beautiful songs of praise of what God has done. The distance or the difference between Exodus 15 and the songs of praise in Exodus 16 is not that long, and yet the people already go back to grumbling and complaining. They say, why did you lead us out here to die where we could have had food here in, in Egypt? So they complain, and so God brings manna, he brings quail, he allows, he, uh, Moses strikes a rock and, and water gushes forth. And so God's providing for his people. Exodus 19, we see the idea of how there's the Mount Sinai, and then Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. And then we see this section that Moses goes up to the mountain, and he starts to get very specific instructions about various laws and regulations, as well as what it will take to build the tabernacle. Now, God has already provided a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that God's people would know that God was with them in the wilderness. They would look up and every day they would see a pillar of cloud and know God is with us in this journey. Every night in the middle of the night, if they woke up, they'd have the brightest nightlight that ever existed, the pillar of fire that showed people that God was with them and was protecting them. 
And so what we see here is we start to hear, Moses starts receiving from the Lord, here's how you're going to build the tabernacle. Here's how much it's going to take. Here are the different instruments. Here's what the golden lampstand's going to look like, the altar of burnt offerings, the altar of incense. Here's what the, what the table of showbread should be made out of. Here's the different colors of all the, of the different yarn and all the scarlet and the blue and all these different things because God has an intentional plan for his tabernacle. The, tw- the dwelling place, the tent of meeting, where God would be in the midst of the people of Israel. And it would show that he, again, his presence was in their very midst. But each part of the tabernacle is foresh- foreshadows and points to something that Christ fulfills as him, as he who dwelled among us, he who tabernacled among us, as John 1 talks about. But we see here that God is incredibly specific about what needs to play, take place. And we'll see in Exodus 31 that he's also incredibly specific about who it is that is called to make that come to fruition. So what are the four things that in this section that God says to Moses, referring to um, Bezalel and Aholiab about what it is that he has when it comes to the abilities we've been given. And the first thing that we see is that he says, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. You have a purpose for which I have made you. And out of all the people in all the world, I know that you are the one that is called to do a specific purpose. Here's how we see this starting off in Exodus 31, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I'll stop there for a second because this idea of recognize that all of us have been given a specific task that were chosen. And And here's the point that I want to write if you're filling in your notes underneath that. It's not just the fact that you've been chosen. It's that your purpose was not given randomly. You were called by name. It's not like in the movies where it's like, oh, we got to do something and let's just draw straws and that's just kind of how we decide what's going to happen. It's not like you're, when you're in school and you had to do a group project and they said, well, could you imagine if it's like someone who isn't comfortable being in front of people? Okay, well, you're the one, you drew straw, so you're the one that's going to share and pre- make the presentation. And then, okay, you have no artistic skills, and you're the one that's going to draw it up. And all of a sudden, we're just assigning things randomly. But friends, God knows you, and so he knows the purposes for which you've been created. And just as importantly, he knows the purposes for which you have not And here's why that's important, that we're all called to play the role he's given us. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But why did we say it this way, that you were called by name? John McKay in his commentary says it this way. He says, the word chosen in verse 32, when he says, I have chosen Bezalel, is literally called by name. It points to the Lord's personal knowledge of the individual that he has assigned a role to. It's not haphazard. It's not random. It's not something that just God drew straws. I'm like, oh, I guess, JP, you're going to do that, and you're going to do this. It's, he knows us. He knows the hairs on our heads and the days of our lives and the cries of our hearts. He knows the way that he shaped us with our spiritual gifts and our heart and our abilities and our personality and our experiences. He knows you. And whenever there's a time where, I, you know, if I get a new, um, like if you get a gift, you get something, you don't know how to use it, You don't just guess, you look and see, what did the creator say about how to use this? What are the instructions and what does that look like? And so if we don't know the purpose for which we've been made, let's go to our creator and see if he can give us his insight. Let's give an example of this. And so um, I'm going to show, here's a picture of me when I was four years old. 
Um, this was taken out in front of our preschool. Calm down, everyone. I know. Um, first thought is, you know, the first thing you look at is like, what happened to you? And I'm like, well, 35 years. But still, um, here's a picture of me uh, from when I was four years old, preschool. And what happened was, is that our preschool, it was a very small preschool, but at the end of the school year, we had like a little mini graduation. We have these little white hats, like real graduation hats, and these little blue gowns, and, and we would have like this whole um, ceremony. It was really small, but it was really sweet. And so um, we, you're, you're probably thinking, how do you know exactly what it looks like? I'm like, oh, because we have video. And so from June 7th, 1989, this is a portion of our graduation ceremony as a preschool. And I want you to just see that maybe perhaps God had put uh, some skills or some abilities in my life from the very beginning that I'm still able and blessed to utilize today. So we turn your attention to the screen for the next minute and 30 seconds or so. Oh. Ladies and So the reason I show that, because uh, of cuteness factor, but the second reason I show that, no, it's one of those where when it comes to that video, Mrs. Morris, who was our preschool director, um, we'd be sitting down and she would say, John Paul, and we'd, we'd cut that out just because of its length of time, and I would stand up and I'd walk over, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And they say, you know, welcome everybody. So I would have everybody stand up. And then we'd do the Pledge of the Allegiance, uh, Pledge of the Flag. And then I would go over, and um, she would say, go, you know, go do the graduation prayer. So boys and girls, that second part, boys and girls, will you please stand for the graduation prayer? And standing up, and then we would read that poem. And in hindsight, it's almost like God wanted me to be able to be comfortable standing in front of people, to talking to adults and saying, hey, like, let's, let's see what God has for us, and to lead people in prayer. It's almost like there's something that was from the very beginning that Mrs. Morris, hey, can you do these things? And I stumbled on my words because I still stumble with my words, but acknowledging that there might be something that you may not have, you know, video proof from June 7th, 1989 about how God has made you. But I love the fact that it's like, these are all things I still do. 
I still have the honor to be able to stand in front of people. I still have the honor to lead people in prayer. I still have the honor to be able to fumble my words but be filled with God's grace as we see what God has for us through his word. And I love the fact that that poem, and I was looking at the video, and then I loved the fact that the poem where he was talking about, like, you must have wanted the countryside, you must have wanted the sea, you must have wanted the stars above, and God, you must have wanted me. And in my life, I've shared before that one of the biggest issues I had or struggles that I felt, and this is not from my parents or from anyone else, this is just in my own um, lostness growing up, that I was born 12 years younger than my brother, and so there were times when I'm like, I felt like, oh, I was, I was a, you know, surprise is the nice way to say it, but I wasn't necessarily wanted. Now, my parents told me later on that they absolutely unequivocally wanted me. It just, there were some issues why that didn't work out until 12 years later. But to be able to even hear this prayer in something that I recited from 30 some odd years ago and to be like, God, you must have wanted me. God, you created me. God, he has created you and he wants you. He loves you. He likes you. He's formed you and he shaped you for the purpose that he has created you for. And so we could say, God, you made a mistake in me. He's like, no, I want you. God, I don't know what you've created. Well, I've shaped you and I have a plan for you. And you know what? I've called you by name. I've chosen you for something that only you could do in this specific way. I need you to do it. I've chosen you. I've called you by name. Further on in the text, verse 3, we see that not only does God say, I've chosen you. He says, I filled you with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God. I have filled you with the Spirit of God. On the screen, we'll follow along, verse 3. And I have filled him, him in this passage is referring to Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. And this is what's beautiful here is that Bezalel already had the skills, the wisdom, and the knowledge in order to do these things. He wasn't a random person who had no ability and God just thrust him into this role. He was someone that was already good. He already had some skills with woodworking or with stone cutting or with um, these different areas of crafts. And yet, God says that he filled him with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, in order to do the task that he was called to do. We see this pattern in Genesis um, chapter 1, where it talks about how the first three days of creation were days of forming. That there was the, the day and the night, but we don't see the sun and the moon until day four. We see that the earth was formed in verse two. We see, or in um, day two, we see these things where the first three days of creation were days of forming. And then the second three days are days of filling. And it creates this pattern for us to see that God created and he structured and he made the form. He's formed each of you, each of us in our mother's womb. But then when we realize what it is that he's called us to do, he hasn't just formed us as we see in this passage here. He fills us now with the power of the Holy Spirit to be activated and to make sure that what we've been formed to do, we are imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do it. And so it's this concept of forming and filling, forming, and filling. He's formed you. And if we don't know the purpose for which we've been made yet, if you don't know how God shaped you yet, then 
we're waiting for that moment when the Holy Spirit will fill you to do that. Now, some of you already have that, and that's awesome, and that is such a blessing. But others of us may not be there. And so know that God, he's chosen you. He has a specific role. And he's formed you, and he wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. In this quote uh, from one of the commentaries I read, Bezalel and Aholiab, Aholiab will meet in verse 6, so don't worry, we'll see him soon. But Bezalel and Aholiab may not have had the ceremonial anointing with oil of the priesthood. In other words, people, he wasn't a, they weren't priests, but they had the reality which it symbolized, which was the filling of the Holy Spirit. They weren't anointed as priests, but they still f- were filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're following along with your notes, this quotation is on the bullet point underneath point two. It says this, It is not only for what we might class as spiritual work that the Holy Spirit comes to equip us. It's not just for the things that we do on a Sunday morning that the Holy Spirit equips us. It's not just for if you're leading a small group or, or serving at, at um, Community Food Connection or serving down with the homeless when we do Ladle Fellowship uh, once a quarter. It's, it's not just when we put on our spiritual hats that the Holy Spirit fills us. Because, friends, that divide between spiritual and, and, sac- and sec- uh, secular, excuse me, there, there's not that divide. We're called to use our spiritual gifts throughout our lives, and we're called to use abilities that many would not classify as spiritual to do the work of the Lord. It's not either or, it's this beautiful interplay of the both and. And so what is it like to see when God uses gifts that are, you know, handcrafting and stone and woodworking and all these different things? What does it look like to experience how God might use what's not considered spiritual in our dynamic, but in order to imbue that and to fill that with the Holy Spirit so that his purpose would be realized through each and every one of us? And so as we've shared uh, over this series, we've been doing interviews with different people from our church. We had Carol two weeks ago. We had Scott last week. And this week, I invite you to watch as we learn about Tracy Miller's story and what it looks like for her to see how God uses her abilities to do his work and how that interaction impacts her relationship with the Lord. So will you turn your attention to the screen as we watch this video together? So my name is Tracy Miller, and I have been coming to Pomerado since J.P., was on board, but I have also been working downstairs at the preschool for seven years. So I have been um, struggling for most of my life um, learning about who I am, um, always having these squashing type of beliefs that I can't do anything. Um, and it wasn't until um, people from the church started to believe in me and and feed me things. They, they're seeing something in me that I didn't see. Um, so I started to tap into that and explore that and try it out. And I'm like, oh, I, to me, I just take for granted the things I do because I just do it. But they saw something else, so I thought, Oh, these guys are just making things up just to make me feel good. But then I started to see myself in the big grand scheme of things, and I'm like, I guess I do have an ability that others don't. I, I, I'm doing what I enjoy doing, helping out the church, and because it's my family, and being creative, and just wherever God tells me, do this, do that, when I'm doing some kind of project. Um, I kind of hear his voice. It's interesting how that works. He's like in the space of my creativity. Like, hey, how about this? 
about that? How about this? I'm like, oh, okay, let's do this. And then when something really good happens of my project, I'm like, wow, let's do that again. <laughs> let's do that again. And then I'm like, when the project is over, I want to do some more of that project. So that just kind of feeds my, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I forget what you call it in the Bible, like from glory to glory, like give me more. <laughs> so I, I made just a lot of graphic design things, um, posters, collages that go behind the scenes, <clears throat> um, big sculptures like a, a waterfall. <laughs> That's taller than me, twice as tall as me, maybe three times, I don't remember, but I'm really short. <laughs> um, I like to get down on my knees and just do things with my hands and get dirty and I don't care if it gets all over my hair or my shoes or my feet or whatever. It's just I'm part of the process, so that's what God said. You do this. It's fun. I'm like, yeah, I know. Let's do this. <laughs> But I do know that when I am in the process of doing my art, um, when I'm doing it, I'm 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 in this thing called what they call flow. Um, but it's it's like this space, this this creative space where it's just me, the things I'm touching and manipulating, and God, and so we're just doing, being, and so it it's really fun to be in that space when I take off all my agendas, all my thoughts about what's for dinner, you know, what time do I pick up the kids, um, th things like that. I, it's just me and God and we're just focused. There's a couple of things I love about Tracy's story, and I'll, I'll hit on one uh, near the end of our message. But one of the things that it, it strikes me when we hear it is this idea of, you know, I, I didn't even know the things I had were abilities because I just do them. We don't think that God can meet us in what we consider the secular or the mundane or the non-spiritual things. And yet we see that God does that. And she shares kind of this process when it's like she's working and she's like, I, you know, here's this thing I need to work on. And, and she feels like God's like, hey, try this and, and do this and do that. And when God and her are working, the result is greater than what she could have done on her own. Friends, when you are living into your abilities that he's created you with, the God-given talents that you've had since birth that he asks you to use to make an impact for him, you're going to have those moments where you think, Lord, I wanted to write a poem for you, but man, when you gave me meter, rhyme, and concept, it's greater than anything I could have done on my own. God, when you called me to make art, when you called me to organize, when you called me to do something, it's better because we did it together than it ever could have been on my own. And this idea of the form, what God has given you talent-wise, and then how his Holy Spirit fills us to be able to bring to fruition and completion something better than we ever could have done on our own. It reminds us of the fact that he's filled us with the Spirit of God, and it reminds us of the fact that it's not just for spiritual things that the Holy Spirit equips us. John McKay, in his commentary, he talks about the Spirit of God here, and he says this. He says, the Spirit of God is not merely a reference to excellent talent. 
God is seen as the source of all skills. Friends, if you hear nothing else, remember that you are created in the image of a creator God. That way, all of you are creative in some sense or another. Maybe you can't build the same things that Tracy builds, but there's things you can do that she couldn't. And same with me. So you, God is the source of all skills. And so we must say, I'm not creative. I can't write. I can't sing. I can't create. All of us are creative in some way because we are created in the image of a creator. We see something that can come out of nothing or we improve upon something that's already been there, that you have creativity inside of what, and God has aligned that creativity in his image to be able to use for his glory so that people will draw closer to him and learn more about his son. So he says this, God is the source of all skills and by the work of his spirit within Bezalel, he has given him talents in addition to his natural aptitude. He already has the form of his natural aptitude, aptitude, and then the Holy Spirit fills him with what he's needed to fulfill that task. So we talked about two things. God says, I've chosen you. God says, I've filled you with the Holy Spirit. The second, or the third thing, excuse me, that he talks about is that he has appointed you. He has given a specific task to each and every one of you. We're gonna jump in just the first part of verse six. It says, moreover, God speaking, says, I, God, have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And the verse 35, we'll go to the next slide as well. Verse 35, verse 34 says, and God has given both him, him is Bezalel in this section, that's the antecedent, both him and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. This word that we see here as he is given is also is the same word that we see in the previous slide of that he has appointed. So it's this idea of saying that you have been given, appointed a task, that there's a calling, that he's called you by name, and then there's a specific way that he is calling you to do that right now. There's a certain task or appointment that he has given to you that he's not given to the person next to you. And whereas Mrs. Morris called and says, John Paul, and I get up out of my seat, and I find out what I needed to do, and I do it. In the same way, God's Holy Spirit may be speaking your name by name right now, and we need to step up and say, God, what do you want me to do now? What task have you appointed me now to fulfill your calling for me? Now, if you're following along in the notes, we say it this way. We don't always get to pick or to choose the task God appoints to us, but we can choose how well we embrace it. We don't always get to choose the task that God appoints to us, but we can choose how well we embrace it. Think about a time that you, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to play baseball, and I knew that I was going to make the major leagues, and I knew that I was going to be able to play for my favorite team. And then I remember going, and literally, like, in middle school, when people started throwing curveballs, I couldn't hit curveballs. And if you literally have trouble with the curve, like a Kevin Costner movie, like, you know this is not your calling. And I remember going and doing tryouts for my high school, because there's a, a school that you had tryouts as freshmen, and I remember getting cut before I even made it to the first round of tryouts. And could you imagine if I lived my entire life through the rear view of what had happened and how I didn't get to do the thing I thought I was supposed to? Friends, when you're driving down the street, when you're driving in traffic, whatever it may be, it's important to know what's behind us. But it's more important to know what's here in front of us. If we live our lives in the rear views of regrets, then we're going to spend our whole lives trying to move forward based on what's happened behind and that is dangerous way to drive. And friends, if I might be so bold, it is a more dangerous way to live. 
that we say, God, I wanted to be able to do this. I thought you were going to point me to this task. I thought you had this goal for me or this dream for me or this purpose for me. And he says, that's what you want, but here's what I have for you. And if you will allow me, I will show you that what I have for you, this is God speaking, what he has for us is far better than what we could have for ourselves. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And recognizing that there's a task that he's given you that only you can do, and the person next to you can't do it in the way that he's called you to do it, and that person can't do what God's called you to do. So instead of saying, oh, I really wanted this in my life, let's, let's lean into not God I really wanted that. And that's okay to bring your prayers and requests to God. By all means, I'm not saying don't reach out to him because he says to do that. But what I am saying is that let's not live through the rear view of regrets and let's look through the windshield of opportunity what God has for us now. Where are we and where are we going? And, and in so doing, we can choose to embrace whatever he calls us to. That we talk about experiences aren't what happens to you. It's how you receive and how you interact with what happens to you. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But this idea of you have been appointed. Aholiab was appointed the ability to come alongside Bezalel. And then both of them, as we saw in Exodus 35, 34, both of them were appointed and given the ability to teach others. And so, friends, when we think about this, as a pastor, I have the honor to be able to, to pastor and shepherd this congregation. And I'm so thankful that February 16th, so three days ago, was the five-year anniversary of when we moved our family down from L.A. County to come down here to San Diego and to be able to serve alongside all of you wonderful people. And so it's a beautiful... Oh, thank you. I, uh, okay, so I'll take it. But um, recognizing that just seeing... It was five, five years ago. But here's something that's really important. And I know many of us know this, but we don't always remember it. What's important for us to remember is that Ephesians 4 talks about the role of pastors and shepherds. And it's not to do the work of ministry. It's to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. It's not about me doing everything or those of us on staff of doing all the work. Friends, our tasks here, if we're ministry leaders, our task is to equip you to do what God has called you to do in our church and in our local community and to bless the entire world. If any church and any ministry is contingent upon just the pastor doing what he or she's able to do, then it's the capacity then becomes, the, there's a lid that John Maxwell talks about. There's a leadership lid that comes to one person. Friends, the church was not meant to be under any leadership lid on one or person. We're all called to build our lives upon the one person of Jesus Christ and to see what he can do in and through his people. So the task appointed to me isn't to do all the work. The task appointed to me and to other ministry leaders is to equip you to do the work of ministry, to lean into how God has shaped you, to use your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences for the purpose for which he's created you. So we've all been a task appointing certain things, but the last thing, and as we close, the fourth point that we see here is not just I've chosen you, not just I've filled you with the Holy Spirit, not just that I have appointed you, but also very simply, I have given abilities to you. I have given abilities to you. And to be very clear about that, 
God says this specifically in the second part of verse six. And I want, as I read this, it's gonna be on the screens, but as I read this, I want you to think about all the different types of skills and abilities that are referenced in this section. Okay, so as we hear this together, let's read verse six, the second part of verse five. He says, also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant Law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place, there to make them just as I commanded you. Could you imagine Bezalel and Aholiab being like, okay, we're good with, Bezalel's like, I'm good with woodworking and stones, but now I need to be good with incense? Now I need to know how to be good with woven garments in order to make clothes for Aaron and the other priests or how to fin- figure out the furnishings and how to make all this be- the beautiful curtains and all the furnishings of the tabernacle? It's not his job to do all of it. He is called to equip. And it says that God had given ability to all the skilled workers for all those different types of skills. It's not up to one person. It's a body of Christ working together. It's a group of people coming together in order to use the gifts they've been given so that God would be glorified, that people would see your good deeds and not give people credit, but give God the glory. So we see this here. John uh, Mackey says it this way as well. He says, skill, this idea of I've given ability or skill for all the skilled workers in verse six, generally is translated as wisdom and it denotes insight and to understand what he is doing and so be able to respond sensitively to what is required of him as he translates the instructions given through Moses into practical directions. In other words, it's a skill to work with wisdom. And so if I were to be in charge, say, okay, here's how I think this ministry should be. I don't have those same skills to know the right way to make that come to fruition. That's why it's not about one person doing everything within the church body. I don't have the wisdom to know. I I don't have the ability to make beautiful things, to be able to make stuff work and look great. And we have people who are great at that. And so instead of saying, well, I need to be in charge of all the things to make sure it's done the way I think, it's saying, God, how have you equipped the people of our church to lead in the way you've called them to lead? And who have you brought to our church body that are willing to serve in the way you've called them to serve? And God, when we are in tune with what you are doing, then we could see you work in a way that you want to, and we don't get credit, but you get glory. Rick Warren sums it up. If you're following along with your notes, his quotation is your bold point there. What I'm able to do, God wants me to do. If I have the ability to do something, God wants me to do that thing. So I don't have artistic ability, and I've been very um, upfront with that. And so when Pat McCarty was here for the first week of our series two weeks ago, she looked and she saw that we're going five different weeks, and we have a sixth week coming up. And so she looked and noticed that there were six frames that are behind. And so she asked, hey, can I just kind of put together um, some drawing based on the series graphic? And so here, you know, each one of these, like this one says masterpiece, but that says spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experiences, and masterpiece. It's this idea that she just looked at and thought, can I, can I make something? And could you imagine if like, uh, could you use a different pen than the other one? Like, I don't have the wisdom or the skill to know how to do that. And it looks 
awesome. We think about what Tracy had done when she makes the waterfall or the different graphics. We think about um, Jennifer Ahn, who takes photos for our church and captures moments within the story of our church. And so we have pictures here that came from VBS, one that came from our 50th anniversary um, as a church several, almost five years ago, from Caitlin getting ready to be baptized, from a kid's praise a musical, and from Shaylin, my daughter, getting ready to be baptized. And they capture moments. And capturing a moment is a beautiful thing to be able to use a gift of photography to be able to say, let's capture this moment. Let's share the life of the church. We have people like Chuck who come in and he uses his gift of craftsmanship and construction and knowing all things when it comes to buildings and grounds to help make sure that our church looks great and functions well, things that are completely over my head. And if it were left to my devices, we would probably just end up like in an empty field somewhere, just sad and alone. Like it's just recognizing that there are gifts that I don't have that you all have. And it's important for us to recognize as part of the body, we, we help one another, we come alongside one another, and some people will fill the gaps that I have, and I might be able to fill some gaps that others have, and we come together, and in so doing, we use our abilities. I'm not saying, oh, those abilities are just Monday through Saturday, and these are only the spiritual things. It's saying caring for our building and grounds is a spiritual thing. Taking photos of capturing moments is a spiritual thing. Drawing and painting and sewing, those are spiritual things. The line of secular and sacred is something the world has created. It's not something God has instilled. We are able to use all of what God has given us any day and every day for his glory. Rick Warren says it this way. The abilities you do have are a strong indication of what God wants you to do with your life. They are clues to knowing God's will for you. God doesn't waste abilities. He matches our calling and our capabilities. God doesn't waste abilities. He matches our calling and our capabilities. You have an ability, he doesn't waste it. And maybe you need to see where he's calling you to utilize it. There's a quote from Tom Patterson that I want to close with, and then I'll, well, semi-close. We're going to close with a quote from Tracy. But Tom Patterson says it this way. He says, show me a person who doesn't know his talents or hasn't developed them for service to others. That's important. Some of us don't know our talents. Others of us are know our talents, but we use them for the service of ourselves. So show me a person who doesn't know his talents or hasn't developed them for service to others. And I will show you a person who has little sense of purpose, meaning, motivation, and value. That what we've been created to do and where we find our purpose and our meaning is not in using our abilities that God has given us to make ourselves the most amount of money and believe that he who ends with the most toys wins. It's not about making so that we are looked at as, oh, that person, they, they have it all together. It's not for our own credit. It's to give God glory. And so I want to share this idea of purpose, meaning, motivation, and value. Tracy said something I want to close with. And I think it, it, it struck me as something that I've experienced, and I wonder if it strikes you. She says this in the beginning part of the video. I've been struggling for most of my life learning about who I am, always having these squashing beliefs that I can't do anything. Please don't respond verbally, but have you ever been there? It wasn't until people from the church started to believe in me that I realized they were seeing something in me I didn't see. I started to see myself in the grand scheme of things, and I realized I do have an ability that others don't. Friends, this paints us a beautiful picture of some of us, we've been told our whole lives, our grades are contingent on the things that we aren't good at. And so you get good grades potentially, but they say, well, why'd you do bad in this score? 
Why'd you do bad on this test? Maybe you have work reviews and annual reviews and instead of highlighting the abilities you do have, you get told, well, you need to work on X, Y, and Z. We get so bombarded with the things that we're not good at, it's easy for us to then think that we can't do anything. And instead of these squashing beliefs that squash our purpose, squash how we've been shaped, squash God's design and his calling for our lives, instead of allowing that to happen, Tracy was able to see from other people in the church to affirm her, to say, you're good at this. This I'm not trying, she said, I thought they were just trying to be nice to me. No, no, no. This is not placating you just to make you feel better. It's acknowledging God's creativity in you to make you better. Not to feel better, but to grow you, shape you, and let you see how God wants to use you. And so the church, we have the opportunity to come alongside you, to equip you to do the ministry of the saints, and to equip you to know what it is that God has shaped you with. And so at the end of our sermon, in just a couple moments, we have a uh, table in the back where if you don't know your abilities yet, we have pieces of paper that will help you to navigate the different abilities, and you can fill that out and get an idea of how God has made you in that area. If you're watching online, you can, there's going to be a link that's sent inside the chat room, and you could go to the page that it specifies, and you can get that exact same assessment as well. But recognizing this, all of you have been called and chosen by name. The Holy Spirit can fill each and every one of you to do the task he's called us to. He has appointed a specific thing for you to do now that only you can do. And then we recognize that he has given you abilities. Don't let the world tell you're not enough when the good creator God through which we are created in his image says you are gifted and you have abilities and he has a purpose for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. God, I pray that each person who hears my voice, Lord, knows they are prayed for, cared for, and loved. I pray that they know that they have been shaped by you and the abilities that they've been given can be used by you and for you if we were to give them up to you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak in such a clear way and have spoken in such a clear way during this time and that you would guide everyone as they leave today, as they get a, a sheet that tells them different ways to serve in the children's ministry, as they find out about children and youth, that you would reveal to them, maybe, just maybe, the areas in which you're calling them to serve because there's such a great need for all the ministries in our church to be fulfilled and equipped for the saints to be equipped to do them. Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.